This is Dan, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Um, we, it, I have Brooke here with me today. Hello. And we are in our third week of our um, D- Does Prayer Work um, series and talking about uh, when you pray, where does it go? Does it just go into thin air? Does it uh, do anything? Does it change anything? Um, how does prayer actually work? What's the goal with it? Um, and so this week we are doing some question and answers that our community has submitted and asked and all of our wonderful listeners. So... Um, we gathered these over the last couple of weeks as people were listening and had just messaged us and said, Hey, do you like, and ask these questions. And so we want to talk about them. So Daniel, why don't you talk about the last couple of weeks and like where we have been and what we've talked about? Yeah. So the first week we were talking through, um, the Lord's prayer, which is a section in Matthew chapter six, where Jesus is doing, he's giving the sermon on the Mount is what we typically call it. Um, and so in that section, we talked about um, seeing prayer as um, inviting heaven to earth. And so we're given this prayer from Jesus that is orienting ourselves around the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven um, and what that looks like through forgiving others, serving others, giving bread and sharing generously with others and recognizing that God's will coming to earth um, is also his kingdom coming to earth and us acting um, towards our fellow humans the way Jesus would. Um, and in that we talked about breath and prayer and, um, this, that this, the word for breath is the same word as spirit, um, in the Hebrew language. And so when we breathe in, um, the idea is that we're breathing in spirit, breathing out spirit. Um, and so every breath we take Mm -hmm. is a prayer, um, as well. And so develop some of that idea there too. And then last week we talked about, um, well, what about when I pray and God doesn't do anything or is what do we do when God is silent? Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about that through the story of Esther and how in that book, God's not mentioned a single time. And yet it's assumed that God is at work Yeah. Um, in there. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of what we talked about. There was other things last week too, that we talked about with it. Like, um, when we approach prayer with the wrong intentions and we treat God like a candy machine. Yep. Yep. You know? Yep. So. Well, this week, like Daniel said, we're just diving into some of, um, some of the questions that got submitted to us. So, um, I'll just throw out one of our first questions and we'll yeah. get started. Yep. This question um, says, where should I begin teaching my son to pray? How do I avoid teaching that like transa- transactional mindset and teaching it more as like a conversation instead? What, what, what would you say to that? Yeah. So I think back to, I used to be a children's pastor. Um, and so we would spend time talking to kids about this and helping them work through prayer. Um, the thing I would recognize is, um, or just say is, Think of where the age of your child and what can they comprehend mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, for sure. So um, a newborn baby that's less than a year old um, doesn't understand prayer because um, they can't speak yet. So mm-hmm. then what you're just trying to teach them is prayer is a practice that we do. It's something that we it's do. It's a routine, you know, it's, it's, a routine. it's a part of the schedule, like you're yep. putting them to bed, like you're feeding them. Yep. And so it's important to show them, hey, this is a, this is a routine, um, but also like... 
it, we don't have to feel obligated that at every per, at every meal we have to sit down and pray. Right. You know, because then we just fall into this habit. Like when I was a kid, um, even kind of when we got married, I started, I was like praying before every single yeah. meal. Yeah. Something about Daniel and I is we, um, very early on in our relationship, we began just praying. We did like a long distance stint for a little while. And so to help like hang up every night, cause it was really hard to like hang up the phone. Um, we kind of started this tradition of like praying and, oh, yeah. um, it, it really bled over into our marriage. And, you know, I don't say that to be like, oh my gosh, we pray every night and we're such good Christians. But um, like you were saying, it did become this like routine. Yep. And I remember there was like at some point, both of us, we would like almost just like pray and not recognize what we were saying. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We'd say the same words over and over yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So then we, you know, added in other um, like meditations and stuff to do right. as we fall asleep. Yep. So, um, but with a kid, when you're trying to teach your son how to pray, like, I think it is important, um, to give them some routine and show them that, but also then to teach them, like, if I say that prayer is simply talking to God, then let your kids see you talk to God. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and it's not like you have to like pause everything and close your eyes and fold your hands. Like if you're out on a walk with them or, you know, maybe you wanted to take them to a lake one-on-one when they're like four and they're praying and like you're out there playing, like you can tell them like, ask some questions of like, Hey buddy, like what would you want God to know right now? Or what do you want to tell Jesus right now? So they begin to think about like, Oh, as I speak, as I pray, I'm speaking to Jesus. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great. So, and phrase start. it as a question. Cause if they're talking to you, they're going to feel more comfortable to say like, Oh, well, this is what I think Jesus would want. I would want Jesus to know. Yeah. I'm reminded of like, so Daniel and I have lots of nieces. We have one nephew and we have lots of nieces. And um, back when our nieces lived close by to us, um, when they were really little, we began, you know, praying with them at a very young age and especially our oldest um, niece that we have. And, you know, when she was like a baby, <laughs> you know, again, it was like kind of that routine. And, and then I remember they were staying the night at our house. This was after they had like moved away. And, um, uh, our niece Evelyn was asking us some questions about God. And she, she wanted to begin praying with us now. She wanted to make it her own. And she was asking questions like, well, where is God? <laughs> like, why? It, like, he's in my heart. And she's like pointing at her heart and trying to reach in her heart, you know, and yeah. and um, just some of those like cute questions that come out of those moments where it's like, oh, four years old, she's starting to like comprehend who God is. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly, it grew our faith a lot too in the process because we're like, oh, how do we answer these questions? Yeah. Um, and so again, letting, I think prayer be a place to ask questions. And if your kid is, you know, in a place where they can start comprehending that, stopping and giving them a moment to ask questions and just say like, hey, like, do you have any questions about our prayer or about God? And I feel like that would lead more to a a conversational based thing too. Sure. I think also then you could ask like, so to avoid it just being a transaction um, is you just don't start there. Like Mm -hmm. when we start telling kids, oh, well, we need to pray for them because they're sick. But then we start teaching transactions. Um, And maybe one way to do that um, different is uh, teaching kids of going, okay, so I would do this when I was sitting in groups with children as a children's pastor. Um, If they would bring up a prayer request and say, all right, sweet, we'll pray about that. But then as we were ending um, that prayer, that time, I'd say, okay, what do you feel like Jesus is asking you to do? Yeah, like a response. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that it's not just so that it's not just me coming to God yeah. and saying, 
um, go and do this thing. It's like me saying, okay, God, um, I think this thing should be worked on, but how can I partner with you in it? Mm -hmm. That's really great. And so that stuff is like, you know, to any parent that's going, how do I teach prayer to my kid? I'm going, you have time. It's all good. Like, we're not trying to get it all right Mm -hmm. the first time. Yep. Also, Daniel and I, I just want to recognize we're not parents. And so, you know, our experience comes from being children's pastors or student pastors and yep. also like with our nieces and nephew and stuff. But yeah, but over and over, I would tell this to parents, too, is just like the thing to recognize with kids is you have time. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yep. So that we're not rushed. We're not pressured. We're not trying to get to some end goal. Um, we have their lives to teach them. And so uh, begin to cultivate in your life as a parent and as a person of uh, faith, a, li- a prayer uh, pattern that's not transactional either. Right. So teach your kid, like if you want your kid to learn to practice thankfulness and gratefulness in their prayer, you start with that too. Mm-hmm. If you want them to learn to practice listening, then start with, then add that in too. And so I think like as your kid's falling asleep at night, you could do some listening prayers with them. Mm-hmm. That's you know, good. to begin to calm them down so that they learn to center, center themselves around the presence of Jesus as they sleep at night. Yeah. And yeah. so then you can also just ask, <clears throat> kids are more willing to engage and go, what do you feel like Jesus was saying? Like, did you feel, you know, any lean towards something or did you hear God? Like, maybe they didn't hear audibly, but just asking them like, well, what do you think Jesus is trying to tell you when they bring up something big? Right, right. You know? Yep. Cool. Okay. Ready for the next question? I hope that was helpful. Um, if you, by the way, if you need more prayer, like resources um, about your children, yeah. reach out. Like I can so get those things too and send links and stuff. Yep, definitely. So. Um, okay. What is the importance of fasting? We often see, you know, fasting and prayer partnered together in scripture. So um, talk about the importance of why we see those things together. Mm, that's a good question. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so for me in my life, when I've done fasting, um, fasting has been like a way of almost um, like denying yourself like a momentary pleasure. Um, and so the idea of fasting is really um, the idea of fasting and praying is that you would kind of uh, give up this momentary pleasure and place to like listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to what God maybe wants to say to you. Um, A lot of times, like if there's a big decision to make in your life or if there's like something big coming up or a big moment, um, you know, you might want to just take some time and uh, fast and get away and find solitude and find silence. And so um, that's that's often what my experience with fasting has been. But I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of scripture where fasting and prayer is partnered together, which mm-hmm. you're kind of the scripture guru. But, um, you know, I don't know if you have any examples that come to mind about scripture per se. But um, yeah, what would you say? Yeah, um, I would say first, like, I don't know. Um I haven't done a lot of study of fasting. Um, so I don't like have fully formed ideas on this, but what I'm thinking about is fasting is a very embodied way of praying. Mm. Um, where uh, when I'm praying it with my words or with my thoughts, I'm crying out to God, asking him to move, asking him to do something, thanking him for something. Like, so fasting is that embodied, like my physical body is now partaking in a prayer. Um, mm-hmm. And something about the Jewish... Um, faith is they were both a ritual 
and uh, a ritualistic faith where it was there's patterns, there's structures, there's um, rituals to perform and do. They were also very embodied faith too. And by that meaning, they didn't see just their um, humanity as I'm a soul or a spirit inside a human um, body and inside this physical body, um, but that both the physical, the spirit um, are holy and unto God and should then be um, used in their faith practices the same way too. Yeah, yeah. And so prayers may be more the, um, is a spiritual practice with our soul, whereas fasting is a physical practice with our body. Right, right. Um, and so a very Jewish view of uh, faith is that it is, like I said, it's both our spirit and our body moving through mm-hmm. life. And so they embodied their faith um, through fasting, through um, giving, through uh, like walking to synagogue and then offering sacrifices there like those were all part of the physicalness of it yeah so yeah hmm. that's really great um okay next question um has to do with liturgy so um how can li- liturgical prayers be helpful for spiritual growth um i can dive into this one first um yeah. just to talk a little bit about what liturgy is but liturgy comes from a Greek term that means public work or work done on behalf of the people. So, you know, the importance of liturgy is that it comes alongside of the community. You don't have one without the other. Um, Liturgy is um, collective. So this could be like collective prayers. This could be celebrating church tradition or church holidays. This could even mean reading scripture. Like liturgy is, you know, reading scripture as a collect, like as a whole people, a group of people. And so, you know, liturgy is something that dates back to like centuries and centuries ago. I mean, a lot of times um, this is how people lay out their church service and this is how they go through certain like scriptures or they say certain prayers and then they use that in like their church setting. And so, um, you know, I think the importance of liturgy is really cool because you can come together and pray these prayers that people have been praying for years and years and years from long time ago. So it's like prayers of the past, but prayers of the future, you mm-hmm. know? And so, um, I think liturgy can be a very beautiful thing. Yeah. yeah. I think liturgy is great because it's a structure. Yeah. Um, it and- gives us structure for mm-hmm. what we're doing, how we gather. Yep. And in, and, in an anti-institutional um, or structural um, culture that wants to push back against anything on the outside, um, something that I've found helpful to me um, is rituals and structures in liturgy um, to help support my faith. Yeah. Um, so when you, when, when, if you grew up and you did liturgies and so you grew up in the Catholic, in a Catholic background or a Methodist or a Lutheran, where they'd have call and responses in churches. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that could feel very dead, very boring. Like there's not much there. Right. As a kid, I, as yep. a kid, I remember being like, oh, we're saying these things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as an adult, I'm like, oh, these things have meaning. They have power. They yes. have, you know, you. And I think that's the thing is recognizing that the, the liturgy, the prayers, the calls and responses, those are helpful when they're, when they, when the meaning has been given and right. explained. Yep. Um, when it's not, 
of course it's going to feel dead. Yeah. Of course it's going to feel pointless. Of course it's not going to feel life-giving. So um, for people who are like, I think structure also helps as like, I'm working through my faith and asking questions and processing. Uh, and part of that's just maturity. Um, that liturgy helps me with that structure then because it supports my faith as I process through things. Right. So that I can lean on this stuff, you yeah. know. The beauty of liturgy and the beauty of our faith is it's not all on me. Um, and so when Paul writes and he says the that um, in, it's not even Paul, um, whoever is the writer of Hebrews, um, that whenever that person's writing, they call Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. Yep. Um, it's like, that's good news because then my faith isn't dependent on me. It's being worked out through Jesus and through his people and supporting me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm working through my faith as I use these other structures. So. Yeah. Yeah. Liturgy is helpful when you see it as a structure for your faith. It doesn't box you in. It just supports it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, you know, if you guys are ever wanting, um, again, more resources, we mentioned this, you know, a little while ago when we were talking about praying with kids. Um, We would love to be able to resource um, anybody who wants to know more about liturgy or like liturgical prayers. Yeah. you know, something that we do within the Holy District is we read through, you know, the lectionary. And a lot of times people don't know what the lectionary is, but it's simply just a church calendar of scripture. Yep. And so there's different years. Um, so there's like different sets of the lectionary. Yep. And, um, you know, it's it's re- a way of reading through scripture and a way of saying these call and response prayers that give us structure to our gatherings. Yep. So, yep. Okay. Um, so. Anything else on that one? Um. I mean, this is also, like, it's a good spot to, like, talk about where we're like, hey, we'll give you these resources. That comes through, um, you can message us and we'll respond. Yep. But also, like, it can come through spiritual direction where yep. you can schedule time with us and we'll talk about that. And, yeah. you know, ask questions and listen to you and, you know, invite Jesus into that space. Yeah. And you can do that, like, through our website, um, holydistrict.org, um, or follow us on social media. So, yeah. Um, how do you introduce praying to someone undisciplined? Yeah, that's the next question. So, um, I, I f- feel like I'm not very disciplined with my prayer life. So maybe I can and help share a response to this. But um, I don't think prayer is a copy and paste method. I think it looks so different for lots of different people. Um if you're a more disciplined person and you have ways to set up prayer in your life that's structured, I think that's really great. Um, there are a lot of people that are disciplined and pray at certain times of the day, and I think that can be very beautiful. Um, for someone like me, um, you know, I I have this almost like love-hate relationship with journaling, <laughs> like journaling my prayers, where I like want to sit down and journal through those things, but I don't take the time to sit and actually journal through those prayers and think about it. So um, I would say for somebody that you're trying to introduce to prayer who is undisciplined, um, what what works for me simply is just like as I go through my day, and Daniel talked about this in our first podcast the first week, it's like as you go through your day, you pray. Mm-hmm. As you breathe, mm-hmm. as your breath comes up, you're literally just inhaling God and exhaling God and and prayer, you know, and this can be prayer, you know, and, and just taking time to recognize certain things in my day. God, I'm thankful for this. God, oh, here's a need in my life. God, 
support me in this. Um, You know, we find out some bad news for somebody in our life. Instantly, my mind just goes, God, like, come Lord Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I don't think it necessarily has to be this structured thing, but just this ever going thing that you are trying to do through your day. Prayer is becoming more aware of the presence of Jesus. Yes. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Um, So whether I'm coming to him with um, requests or um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Um, Intercession. Yeah. Um, Whether I'm coming to him with that or I'm coming and listening, I'm coming in with prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving, prayers of whether I'm coming with prayers of like weariness or worry. um, It's just becoming aware of the presence of Jesus. So I once had someone I wasn't, as I shared in the first podcast, I was not good with prayer before. Um, so I once had someone tell me like, okay, when you wake up in the morning, say, dear God, hmm. and when you go to bed at night, say, amen. I love that. Um, and so if you're on dis, if you're like prayers new to you, then just start by waking up in the morning and then out loud or in your head, I don't care where you say it uh, and just say, dear God. And then when you go to bed at night, <clears throat> uh, just say, amen. And that began to help me recognize like everything is prayer as I yeah. move through life. Yeah. Well, so this bleeds into our next question because um, it's a little similar, but um, there's a question that says Paul was specific about praying unceasingly, (laughs) like nonstop, right? So what does that look like in a 21st century where we are driven by technology and we are, our lives are just so busy and crazy and chaotic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. nonstop. Mm -hmm. So what, what did Paul mean by saying um, praying without ceasing? It's again, it's just being aware of this presence of Jesus. Yeah. Like I just said, it's that, um, dear God, in Jesus' name, amen, at the yeah. beginning and end of the day. And it doesn't mean everything I do is holy. It doesn't mean everything I do is right. I just am saying, when I adapt that idea, I'm recognizing the spirit of Jesus is with me. Yeah. And I'm trying to be aware of the work that the spirit is doing. Yeah. So, yeah. unceasingly, is just like recognizing, oh, yeah, like, there it is. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, you know, again, it's... it. We've said this before, but prayer a lot of times has a lot to do with our own faith. And so, um, you know, it's a a way of expressing our faith throughout the day. So praying unceasingly, think of it as you're expressing your faith throughout the day. And it's not like it's a literal, like, nonstop praying. I have to be constantly talking throughout my day to God. Um, But as it comes up and as your mind is present in the moment, you recognize it. Yep. Yeah. I want to skip this next question that you have here and then come back to it. Okay. Um, And I want to go to the last one that you have on there. Perfect. How do we continue to trust God when it feels like many prayers are unanswered? So some of that I would say we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. Um, Recognizing that maybe God is at work, even when he feels silent. Um, That was the lesson out of Esther is God's apparent absent doesn't mean he's apathetic. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, okay. The second thing is going, so how is God asking? We talked about this last week. Um, in those moments, God is saying, like, our opportunity or invitation is, so how can I come and partner with God? How can I bring the kingdom? Because I'm the church. So anytime I'm going, well, the church should do this, it turned like, oh, guess what? I am the church. Mm-hmm. So what can I be doing? Um, and so, but then the other thing I was thinking about um I've been wrestling with this. I wrestled with this a few months ago. I don't know if you remember this conversation, but uh, my counselor had said to me of um, what 
what if the primary, like, what if God doesn't come to rescue you? Hmm. You know, and we were talking about, like, I was working through some things in my life and it was like, I'm afraid that, like, when I face hard situations, I'm afraid no one's coming. Like, what if no one is going to come and rescue me? So it all actually just depends on me. Right. That's the mode that I've had to operate in yeah, my life. I'm working on doing that. Yeah, you have like have that identity of rescuer, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because no one's coming. So I got to go rescue. Right. And uh, my counselor said, what if the goal isn't for God to rescue you? Hmm. And I was like going, I, and I said to him, I don't like that. Yeah, um, expand on that a little bit more. Talk that through. And so in that we were talking and he goes, well, like, uh, I don't, I, cause I was like, I don't know that I can believe in a God who doesn't rescue. Mm-hmm. And my counselor said, well, what do you make of the stories, um, with Paul in jail where he's writing and he's saying, um, if I die, it's better for me because I can go and be with the Messiah. And it's like, what? Like Paul is willing to go. Even if I'm not rescued in this moment, it is okay because I can go and be with the Messiah. Well, he's recognizing there's that faith, there's that trust there on his side yes. that things will be restored according to the right. way God right. will handle that. Yep. But in that moment when I was talking to my counselor, I said, I don't know that I have that kind of faith that I would be able to say that if I don't get rescued out of this situation, it would be better for right. me. Well, we want to see, we want to see um, our prayers come to fruition. We want to see right. um, uh, our lives having been dedicated to God. We, yep. we want to see the promises. Yep. And I think we have right. to be reminded that people in scripture didn't always see the promises come to Many, God in their like lifetime. Many, like Hebrews chapter yes. 11, where there's all these people listed, and it says in there, they did not see the promises, yep. and yet they had faith. Yeah. And so, how do we keep trusting God? Um, faith is not seeing everything come to fruition. Faith is believing in a future reality. Yep. Well, it's being certain of the things that are unseen, yes. the things that are coming. So, or like... With Hebrews, does it mean that God is unfaithful um, that they were in slavery in Egypt? No. And that the hard thing they have to wrestle with is I'm like, but it, but God is good, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, but as I watch God work and have faith, I'm going, okay, like the goal of the goal for God is not for my life to be easy and to for things to be right the way I want them to be right. The goal for God is that I would be restored and that things would be right in the new creation as he intended. Yep. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when the things I pray, as good intentioned as they are, are not things that will be like that are right for the new creation. They're just right for me right now. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to see, you know, that's that's hard for us to recognize. You know, we got to put our faith in that promise that we see in Revelation, you know, at the end, like all tears will be wiped away and mm-hmm. all suffering will be yep. wiped away. And, yep. you know, God will come and God yep. will win. Yep. And that is an unbelievably hard thing to sit yep. and realize, will that happen in our lifetime? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So when God doesn't like, I'm not saying God doesn't rescue. I'm just saying. What if the primary purpose isn't for God to rescue Mm -hmm. me from my present situation? Yeah. And I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. All I know is I have to have faith and trust. And it's cheesy, but it's not supposed to be cheesy. It's just like 
continue to believe and hope in that future reality. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Okay, we have our a last question yeah. here. What role should meditation play in our prayer lives? Um, I just I, it 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 can play as much as you want. Um, if you're not a person who's like, if meditation doesn't help you in your faith, um, if it's not something a structure that supports your faith and helps it to grow and for you to connect with Jesus, then I would say it pl- should play little. Yeah. Um, role. I think sometimes people don't necessarily know what meditation looks like. I think meditation can be this word that is definitely used in different like circumstances, right? You know, you meditate when you do yoga and you, you can meditate, um, in the car or out in nature when you're walking or hiking, but you can also meditate in prayer and through scripture. And at least for me in my life, (laughs) meditation has become such a powerful tool of listening to God and silencing myself um, in, in order for me to actually understand and hear what what God is like doing in my life. There's beauty in slowing down, yep. finding a quiet place, yep. um, choosing a word, whether it's a word or it's like a scripture and and being still before God because life is busy. It's chaotic. It's it's messy yeah. and it can lead yeah. to this silencing of our heart and our soul. And God can speak to us yep. in ways like that. Well, I would say in a, um, in a, in our modern culture that is full of noise and chaos and lots of loud voices that are unimportant and we shouldn't be listening to. Um, and we're connected digitally to everything. And it's just like, there's so much stimulation happening on the outside. Um, holiness looks like quiet yeah and holiness looks like center and peace yep and so to to slow myself down um then is very holy and good and connects us to the spirit so i would go hey any cathedrals any churches like they um like if you want to become a place of healing then you become a place of quiet yeah and as we look forward into the future church um i know we did a series on this but as we look forward into that future church, churches that will be good for their community and their culture and good for like um, not making their name known, but good for the kingdom coming to earth will be places of quiet, rest, solitude, yeah, um, healing, holiness, where you come and you meet and it's not chaotic. Um, it And come in with your chaos. It doesn't mean you have to be like come into the presence of Jesus with your chaos because of the work of the spirit is ordering the chaos. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, and I was just going to mention that there are lots of different types of meditations um, or different prayers that you can do. I mean, Daniel and I have experimented with several different um, meditations. Like when we go to bed at night, we listen to an app. It's called Lectio 365 and they have one for the morning and they have one for the evening and you can put it on. It's like a 10, 15 minute. um, I don't think it's that long. Sometimes it's that long. Sometimes it's like seven minutes or yeah, less. Normally less than ten. Yeah. Um, but we we have this this just routine where it's like we slow down our breathing and our thoughts before bed because how many times? <laughs> I mean, if you're anything like me, my mind is like rushing at night, and I never want to like slow down enough to go to sleep. And so this is again, it's a practice. It's a way of meditating. There are things like centering prayer. There are things like listening prayer. There's stuff like breath work. Um, And and so next week, um, we're going to, I'm going to come back on the podcast and I'm going to lead us through a meditation. So if you are somebody who um, 
you know, likes that kind of thing or wants to find a, a quiet spot um, or you're on, going on a walk or you're hiking or um, you, can, you can take this meditation and um, really just focus your heart and your soul on God and into that silence and solitude. So that will be next week. And I think that's all. Anything else, Daniel? That's it. Thank you so much. Yep. We'll talk to you guys next time. The Holy District is a growing network of people based out of Allentown, Pennsylvania in Gilbert, Arizona. We are seeking to rediscover sacred in everyday places. If you would like to partner with us, um, maybe you have a space or you want to partner with us through prayer or through um, uh, donations as we seek financial sustainability, um, then you can go online and reach out to us at holydistrict.org. Um, you can also go online to schedule a spiritual direction section with us. So thank you so much for listening today. If you found this helpful, review it on Spotify or Apple um, Podcasts and share this with a friend or a family member. Uh, we thank you all for listening. <laughs>